2: Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and today uh, we have lots of other people on the podcast today. So uh, in our first segment, we're going to be talking about is it too late to start? If you have an older child or you're not starting doing Parenting for Faith and helping your kid meet and know God in a way that you sort of feel confident in um, when they're when they're young, is it like, you're just playing catch up? Or uh, is it something totally different? Uh, we're going to have a question from uh, a question and answer session we had about uh, a child who's sort of, oh, tattletailing is a is not the right word, who feels like they need to report the behavior of other children. Is that something to be encouraged or not? Or how do you cope with that? And uh, and then we also have uh, one of our team members, Anna Hawken, who uh, has done a review of Treasure Champs, which is a BBC television program. So that is what we're doing today. Plus, of course, the uh, question, ask your kid for an interesting conversation. So let's jump in. Today we're talking about a topic that is really close to my heart. Wherever I go and speak and talk to people, there's one question that keeps coming up, which is, is it ever too late? Or people saying, I I wish I would have known this five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, is it too late for for my kid? I just wanted to encourage you uh, with a story. One of our team members, uh, her name is Becky. She um, really invests and looks after the local churches and local people who are passionate about doing this uh, in their communities. Uh, She has a really interesting journey about Parenting for Faith that we wanted to encourage you with. So I sat down with Becky. Right. So, Becky, we're talking about it being never too late to start Parenting for Faith, what has your experience been of that? Because, you know, obviously you're working for Parenting for Faith. You must have been doing it for bajillion ages, but that's not your story. What is your story? And and is there encouragement in starting late, or do you feel like you're always catching up?
1: I, um, I discovered Parenting for Faith about seven years ago. I'd been a children's pastor for about two years and bumped into Rachel at New Wine when she was doing some stuff with Rock Solid and bought the book and... I was just like, I'd never heard this stuff before. And so my real, the the point I think at which I started Parenting Faith, I suppose, was my daughter was 17, she was in lower six, and it was just like, she was in this triangle of friend thing that never worked, and every day it was, you know, this friendship stuff isn't working, and I was just finishing reading Parenting Children for a Life of Faith and got a bit about prayer ministry with kids, and... My daughter came home from school and it was the same old thing. You know, sometimes when you're a parent, your kid comes home with the same issue and you've almost run out of things to say. And I, there's no way you can solve 17-year-old friendship problems, you know. Yeah. And so I didn't know what to do and she was beside herself and she was upstairs on her bed. And I, I remember sitting on the bed next to her and like feeling like the most inadequate parent ever. And I, I said to her, I know this is really weird. I said, but I've been reading this book and I think it might help. Do you mind if I try this? And she was like so miserable. She said, no. <laughs> so I had just read about praying for kids when they can't pray for themselves and they can't connect with God's self. And I prayed with her like, just like they said in the book. And because she was 17, I'm like, do you want me to say? She goes, no. And about half an hour later, she came downstairs and she was very different. And I I kind of said, you OK? She said, yeah. And I was just like, I, so I have no clue what happened but I'm like this is really important stuff. And then I suppose a year later we did the parenting faith course for the first time at church and then then I just became embedded in it really and then when the opportunity came to work for parenting faith I'm like yes because I believe in this stuff.
2: <laughs> but what that takes a lot of boldness to have a 17-year-old kid and think I I want to try this. I understand trying one tool, but I, I've talked to many parents who feel at seventeen that they're not influence is over, but that they feel like what what could I possibly do when they're only in my, you know, home or you know, they're already facing out. Mm-hmm. What do you feel that you have been impactful in terms of spiritual um, parenting?
1: Yeah, I mean if I'd love to have started this thing when before Hannah was born. I'd love to have built her whole kind of childhood on these premises but I couldn't you know and and actually first of all you're like oh I was a terrible parent and then actually through interesting enough through sort of becoming familiar with parenting faith I realized that I'd done some of it right by accident some of the modeling and the framing I'd done anyway um but it you never stop parenting I now live with my 83 year old mother and I still am learning from her I'm learning from her what old age looks like and how to cope with the prospect of death and things like that because we we learn all the time from those around us but there is this particular link with parents. My role model for old age is my mother and so I, I do subconsciously, maybe unconsciously, I'm kind of absorbing everything she does now and how she's coping with illness and things like that and so although I wasn't Able to kind of sit Hannah down at three and talk about chatting and catching and things like that. And so things like that haven't come as naturally to her, maybe, as they might have done. She's got the rest of her life and now she's just, I um, mean, she's older now, but at that point she's kind of making massive decisions around uni and her careers and life. And we don't stop parenting because our children hit 11. Mm. You know, a lot of parenting courses are actually really, a, we think about parenting when they're preteen. But actually, I need to parent her now as somebody who's looking at a career and in the future, she'll be looking to get married or not or whatever her life is. She's still going to learn from me. And so she basically is watching how I live, whether I like it or not. Mm. So I'm modelling and framing all the time. I've been more conscious about it. So when things have been tricky at home, my dad died earlier this year. Hannah's very close to him. I was aware of opportunities to actually frame what I was doing and thinking and saying. So she was aware of the processes I was going through. Um, So it's never, ever, ever too late because I think I'll be parenting her until the day I die. Mm. And so she'll be looking at me, see what does faith look like when things are tough? Mm. Um, What keeps me going? What hinders me? All those things. So, You maybe haven't been able to... If you start late, you haven't been able to put everything in place perfectly. But actually, you know, you're going to be their parent for the next 40, 50 years. Yeah. So there's a lot of parenting still to be done. So good.
2: Can you see the fruit? Do you feel like you can see the fruit? Because, you know, when you have a four-year-old, the sort of return is almost immediately, yeah. you, know, you train them in something and then it pops up like two weeks later. But with older children, it, it's... Nice yeah, I mean,
1: she's thing. not kind of... She, she doesn't kind of pop up and say, oh, God and I were chatting today or anything like that. But I remember she didn't really talk about prayer at all. And one day I was driving back to uni, she said, you know when you're ch- you chatting to God and, and he tells you something and I nearly f- stopped driving, I was so <laughs> shocked. Because, you know, whether or not that was due to... My framing and modelling, chat and catch, I have no idea, but you're putting it out there, what they absorb is between them and God mainly. But the more I put out to help her make sense of life with God, the more she's going to, to be able to make a, a good decision, a considered decision. And if you don't know about something, you can't decide whether you're going to do it or not. I think that's such an excellent approach because I
2: think so often in parenting, we, we keep looking for the immediate responses, what I'm mm. doing working. And actually, when we're parenting for faith, it, it isn't about about creating the exact right scenarios yeah. to, to for them to prove to you that they're getting it. But there's something mm. of the living and being and giving them the best chance.
1: Yeah, then, I and think. I think the loveliest thing about parenting for faith, is not about being successful. Mm. It's about being real. And so when I mess up... Um, I, I'm able to say, you know, oh, it's rubbish, sorry. Um, I think the thing is, when you're parenting a child, I always talk to parents, you know, they talk like if they've got a child whose behaviour is isn't what they want, I often talk about bending a child, not breaking them, and, and that takes time. So you you change somebody's course not by insisting that they, they change direction. You just bring them round gently, gently until they bend round. So parenting's for the long haul, and I'll never know which bits have specifically influenced her probably. She might say one day something you did or said. But I just know if you do it right, or as right as you can, you're giving them the best chance. So there you go. I hope that was an encouraging reminder
2: that no matter how old your kids are when you start, God is doing something in their lives, and we as parents can be powerful within their spiritual journeys. It's time for questions! Thank you so much for sending them in. We have a big list of them that we are working through, and we appreciate you uh, letting us know what you want us to talk about. Uh, if you want to send in a question, please go to um, our website and just contact us and send us a little email or tweet us. Uh, just get in touch, and we would love to answer your questions. Um, we've had several come up and uh, about this, this topic, and so uh, I thought we'd uh, pull some audio from a, a live question and answer that we had about this topic. Topic, which is what do you do when your kid uh, becomes the kid who wants to always tell on other children? Uh, is that a good thing to be encouraged? Is that something to not? Uh, how do we deal with that? And is there a spiritual element to it? So uh, here is uh, how I answered when I was uh, surprised with this question at a question and answer session a little while ago.
1: We have a seven year old daughter who struggles with making friends. She has a real sense of right and wrong with a real desire to help the oppressed. But this comes across as telling on others. How do we help her keep her sense of injustice while enabling her to develop friends?
2: Excellent question. Some, depending on, again, depending on how the child works, some kids are very structured. And so if, you, if this kid is a structured kid, then often what they need is, um, because they're telling on other children, often it's because they're feeling the sense of injustice, they want to help people, and the only tool they have in their bag is tell, em, tell the teacher, that is the only, they rummage around, somebody needs to help, what are the th- tools, the only thing I have is tell the teacher, so I'll do that. And so sometimes it's about expanding their um, Choices of what are the different ways of helping people, and with seven-year-olds, they love they can love role play depending on the personality. So, um, if if we add to their bag, what are the different things we can do? If you see someone being bullied, what can you do with it? If it's just tell the teacher, that's what they're going to do always. But you can distract the bully. Ooh, what would that look like? And so then we can play scenarios of if someone's doing that, you can come along and be like, "Hey, look!" I mean. I was saying, what can we do to distract? I know one kid uh, in my ministry who was really into um, uh, distracting bullies and the, he felt like that was his job, was to go around and distract bullies. So he'd constantly be like, look, a giraffe! And then he would like, grab the kid and then they would run. And that was his, like, <laughs> that was his approach, was you could distract the bullies. Um, I knew another kid who was really into distracting and he showed me. Whenever I see someone bullying, I walk right in front of the person who's being bullied and I go like this. so weird. They just walk away. <laughs> I was like, excellent. Uh, so there's something about validating being guardian of the playground. I, I when I, 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 was a children's pastor for a very long time. We used to call it being the guardian of the playground. Um, and say, you're not on my watch. This isn't going to happen on my watch. Um, but you've got to have more bag than just telling on someone. So it could be distracting the bully. It could be going and putting your weight next to the person who is, who is struggling. And so I know some people, we talk a lot about being weighty in, um, one of the books, second book, I think, um, purpose book about how you are responsible for where you put your weight. If if someone is being hurt and you let your weight stay on the side, you're not using your weight responsibly. You need to go, put your weight where it's needed. And uh, so sometimes it's like you can go and say, "Hey, I want to be your friend. Why don't you come play with me?" And and giving them a safe place. Um, it could be it could be that you tell a teacher. It could be that you come up with a game to play. Um, it could be that you get a group of friends and make sure that you find the people who normally bullied and make sure they have friends before you play. There's loads of things that could go in your bag. And so the, the thing I would say is, is, is to do that, um, because then, and also look for the lost and the lonely. So when kids want to find friends, often they look for someone who likes them. And for me, particularly for kids with injustice to say, actually you are the answer to prayer for a lot of lost and lonely kids at your school and, and how we find friends sometimes is to love somebody first. And so if you're lonely and looking for friends, look, because there's guaranteed somebody else who's lost and lonely who's just waiting for someone to come say, be my friend. And, and sometimes it's, it's about that, rather than saying nobody likes me, it's find the ones that need you to like them, and you'll actually find that there's love there too. For our last segment, our team member, Anna, she uh, is one who sort of helps uh, work with uh, across national organizations and supporting, you know, regional and and, and national organizations in helping parenting for faith. She uh, was watching Treasure Champs on BBC with her young, tiny people and uh, had some really good reflections on uh, how, how can you spiritually parent while watching TV casually with your Small people, and particularly, what is this BBC program
0: about Treasure Champs, and uh, and is it a useful thing for spiritual life or not? Hi, my name's Anna Hawkin, and I'm part of the Parenting for Faith team. I've got two small children; I've got a three-year-old and an eighteen-month-old. And so, like many of you with kids that age, I have become very familiar with the varied characters and programs of CBBS. And there's a program that's caught my attention recently. It's called Treasure Champs. If you haven't seen Treasure Champs, there's two squishy monster blobby characters and they explore different values and what they mean. It's a really nice idea. And as part of the programme, they often tell a story from a faith tradition. So that's sometimes a Bible story. And the other day, my kids were watching Treasure Champs whilst I was making the tea and a Bible story came on. And my first response was great. Guilt free TV time. They can watch this, they're going to learn more about God, hopefully connect him a bit as well, and I can crack on with what I'm doing. But as I listened, actually, because of the way that it was told and the fact that they were using it to make a specific point, I didn't feel like it was a faithful retelling. It portrayed God in a way that I wasn't very comfortable with, and for me, it totally missed the actual point of the story. It wasn't wrong as such, but it, it wasn't quite right either. A similar issue has come up at church recently too. I sometimes lead our under fives group and uh, sometimes the service does not finish on time. Anyone who's done children's ministry will be familiar with this scenario. You've got a time that you're working tea, uh, but the preacher is amazing, ministry is very extended and you have got tired... Hungry little people who do not want to play another game. They do not want to connect with you or God or each other. They just want to crash out. And so, uh, my solution to that recently has been watching a YouTube clip um, of the Bible story or the theme that we've been exploring. And sometimes elements of that are really great, but others really miss the mark. And I come away thinking, oh, not sure I should have shown that. I don't really like how they presented some of the characters or God. um, And I, I can just be left feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And so this has got me thinking about how we can't vet everything that our kid reads or watches and, you know, we can't see everything in advance, can we? And we don't want to either. It would take forever. But we want them to have the skills to discern for themselves. So how can we equip them to take in and enjoy all the different things they see and watch and hear, but take the truth from them and stop them from taking in or believing things that aren't quite right So I wanted to share a few things that I've been exploring at the moment. Um, I've got three ideas and I'd be really interested to know uh, if you try them out, whether they work for you as well. Um, So the first is about really making a distinction between fiction and reality and also about different types of story. So my eldest, my daughter in particular, she really loves stories and imaginary play at the moment And if it's got unicorns and dragons in, all the better. She loves anything like that. And I really want her to enjoy those stories. But I also want her to know that they're different to Bible stories. So with her and in that under five kids group at church as well, I often say something like, um, we read and watch lots of stories. Some are fun made up things and some are things that really happened. I want to make really clear what the situation is with the story. Um, so that they have some context. So I might be saying something like, these people really lived a long time ago. Or this is a story that Jesus told to help people understand something. See if you can spot what he wanted to show them. And you can either do this by preparing them in advance, or you can debrief them afterwards. And when I say prep them in advance, I'm not talking about uh, creating a lesson plan and sitting them down. I'm literally thinking sort of as my kids are watching TV and I'm preparing dinner across the room, when they say what the story is going to be on Treasure Champs, I can shout across, hey, this is something really amazing that Jesus does. Keep watching. And then they have a little bit of context. They already know that this is about something Jesus actually did. So it's a true story um, and that I expect the focus to be on Jesus. You're just trying to give them a bit of context, a bit of understanding to help them make sense of it. And the older they get, the more you can get them to take a lead and tell you what they think the context is. Uh, So that's the first thing, making a distinction between fiction and reality and different types of story. The second thing is about asking questions together. This encourages them to think critically and to explore a bit more. So you can say things like, how do you think God was feeling about that? Or, that's funny, they left out this part. Why do you think they did that? Or, That seemed to be a lot about what the people did. Do you think they could have done it without God? Um, And actually part of that is me just processing what I'm thinking and feeling about it. But I'm giving them, I'm creating a window into the way that I do that and helping them to be part of it. In our house, we often do um, some chat and catch time and a Bible story at bedtime. So that's quite a useful follow-up time for us. But you could do it straight afterwards. You could do it over dinner, in the car, whatever works for you. But I found myself saying things like, that story in treasure champs was from the bible should we look in your bible and see if they tell it in the same way or should we ask god what he was thinking when he saw all those hungry people Uh, and maybe incorporate chat and catch into it as well so they might want to say do you want to ask him if anything made him feel angry about what happened there just making very clear that god was in the story and that he's part of it so that's the second thing asking questions together so we've had making a distinction between fiction and reality and the different types of story asking questions together. And then the final thing um, that's really been on my mind is about unwinding any wrong views of God and reinforcing the good, balanced ones. So you might spot something either as part of asking the questions together or just from your watching or reading, whatever it is, um, somewhere where there's a bit of potential for confusion. Unwinding is the third key tool of Parenting for Faith. So you can find out loads more about that on our website, parentingforfaith.org. Click on unwinding and you'll see lots of examples of different views of God and how you might unwind them. But really what I want to be teaching my kids is to keep checking back against what we know about God and his character from the Bible and what it says there. That's what I do and that's what I want them to learn how to do as well. So I might say something like, It maybe seemed like God was a bit far away when the people were sad in the story. But we know from the Bible that he says he'll be close to people when they're sad. Do you want to tell him about something that makes you sad? And we'll ask him to come close. So once again, chat and catch is uh, creeping into that. Um, That's the fourth key tool of parenting for faith, so you can discover more. So those are the three things that I've been experimenting with. Making a distinction between fiction and reality and different types of story asking questions together, and unwinding any wrong views of God. If you try this out at home, I'd love to know uh, what's working for you and anything else that you'd add. And lastly, our question
2: to ask your kids to start an interesting conversation is, if you had to be on a long road trip, like four hours trapped in a car, with anyone from the Bible, not Jesus, who would it be?